Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Football Friday. Man, I am glad to be back here on a Friday. Under the weather last week, couldn't do Football Friday. I had my picks all ready to go, and we'll go through that uh, when we do the Friday Five and the NFL Lock of the Week. I'll uh, tell you about my picks from last week, and I won't tell you about them all, but I'll let you up. I'll let you know the updated records, um, and uh, we'll go through that once we get to it later on in the show when we start doing our picks for the uh, for the weekend. And uh, look, I, I, you know, I'm starting to get pretty good at this thing, so uh, you may want to listen. <laughs> Just saying, I've uh, got a winning record in both aspects, so we'll uh, we'll see. I'm actually undefeated in the lock of the week. We'll go over that coming up in uh, in a little bit. Tons of stuff to talk about today. I mean, look, I literally five pages of prep work here, notes that I've taken um, from last night and also this morning and just kind of like compiling stuff and uh, putting it all together throughout the week. Jed Fish had his press conference yesterday. We will discuss that. I'm going to talk about my stats and keys to the game for Arizona versus UCLA. Of course, that game again is tomorrow night. Game kickoff is at 7.30. It is a whiteout. So fans, when you're going to the game, please wear white and uh, participate in the festivities of the whiteout. They're a lot of fun. Look, I've been to a lot of whiteout-type games, whether it be with the uh, Phoenix-slash-Arizona Coyotes when they get into the playoffs. It's a tradition for them to have whiteouts, and I've been to some of those games, and they are absolutely electric. Uh, And I've been to some other whiteout games around or, you know, color-out games, especially at McHale Center. We've done several uh, color-outs, stripe-outs, white-outs, red-outs, blue-outs, all kinds of things like that. It's just a lot of fun. It's uh, camaraderie for the fans to uh, get together and kind of uh, unite and be as one, dressed in the uh, same colors. So uh, white-out tomorrow. And want to talk about the ticket winners because, of course, we were uh, registering to win my tickets to the game tomorrow night all week long for Wednesday and uh, and Thursday. Obviously, I was out Monday and Tuesday I was on vacation, but um, wanted to make sure that we let those people know that they've won. If they have not, I think we're going to send them the tickets this morning. Sometime, you know, after 8 o'clock, we'll be sending you your tickets. Uh, our winners, though, for this week, the uh, the folks who texted to win, winners are Gabriel Romero and Jake Tuapolo. Jake Tuapolo and Gabriel Romero were our winners this week. Congratulations to Gabriel and Jake. Thank you guys for listening and participating in the contest. Thank you for sporting Wildcat football, and enjoy the game. Wear white. (laughs) Wear white. Enjoy the game. Be loud. Stay to the fourth quarter, Um, and I think you're going to want to. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than certainly than the odds makers have got it, uh, which is UCLA at minus 16 coming out the block. So, um Congratulations to Gabe and, and uh, Jake. They are the winners. And then stay tuned, of course, here every week, every home game week, we'll be registering to win via the text line to win my personal tickets to that Saturday's game. So I'm um, looking forward to future games and uh, future text message contests with you guys. So uh, that's all on the up and up. Major League Baseball last night. I won't get into it too much. It was just game one of the ALDS. Not a whole lot of excitement there. The Rays blanked the Red Sox 5 nothing. Um, really no, 
I don't think many people are surprised there. I did pick the Rays in five. Other the Red Sox would be game to win uh, a couple of games in this particular series. Five game series, or you don't see tons of sweeps in five game series in the playoffs. Um, so that's why I went with with a with a five game win for the Rays. But it's obvious who the better team is, and uh, it may end up being a sweep by the time it's all said and done. Those rookie starting pitchers for the uh, for the Rays looking at least one of them looked really good last night. And then the Astros in the earlier game yesterday absolutely throttled the White Sox by a score of 6-1. to one. Uh, They were spraying the ball all over the ballpark. Lance Lynn didn't last long. Tony La Russa had to go get his horse um, early on and uh, take him out of the game. So that was not good news for the White Sox, whom I picked to win this series. Uh, but, again, it's, uh, uh, it's a long series, or, well, five games. There's four games left, and the White Sox still have plenty of talent and uh, bullpen to be able to uh, to be able to uh, come back in this series, but we'll see. The, the Astros bats were on fire yesterday, and uh, we'll keep a closer eye on those, and we'll let you update. We'll keep you updated on the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs as we go throughout. Of course, the NLDS starts today. Big games tonight in the National League. Of course, Giants and Dodgers game one, and you can actually hear that right here on ESPN. So. Let's talk about the game coming up this this Saturday, okay? Arizona UCLA, a little preview here. Jetfish's press conference yesterday, there was a lot of there was a lot of questions asked of him. He spent quite a bit of time with the media, about 20 minutes with the media. He likes to uh, likes to spend time and answer questions and things. So, that's good. You know, it's it's better than having somebody who's completely terse with the media and doesn't answer questions. Um I thought some of the interesting notes from yesterday's press conference he talked about his history with Chip Kelly from their time in the NFL, and no, I don't care about who said they were going to hire whom in 2013. I really couldn't care less about that kind of stuff. This is a football game, not a resume-building uh, situation. Um, he talked about his experiences with Chip earlier on in you know in his career when uh, when the Jaguars would face the Eagles in the uh, in the NFL, and you know he talked about the, some of the matchups against Chip and talks about how he has evolved. In you know, in his time as a coach, and look, that's you know, that's what you want to see, right? You want coaches need to evolve; they need to um, continue to grow and get better and learn new concepts and uh, apply them to their teams. And he says that that Chip has done that, and still Chip features that great rushing offense that we're accustomed to seeing out of Chip Kelly offenses. Um, UCLA will go fast at times, but it's not the breakneck speed that we saw when he was at Oregon. I think he learned from his time in the NFL that taking your time, making sure you're in the right play, is paramount to your offensive success. Um, look, I, I think we're starting to see it trickle back a little bit more. And, I, and if you've been watching a lot of college football uh, recently, especially over the last five years, I think we've all noticed a little bit of, a, of an effect that, that the game is slowing down just a little bit as far as how fast the offenses are going. There are still plenty of offenses out there that want to go fast, and their only focus is to get to the next play. Get lined up, get to the next play. Run as many plays as you possibly can. And I get it. It's a, you know, it's a concept that worked for many, many years in the world of college football. And there are plenty of teams that are still going fast, but it's not a situation where every team is trying to run and sprint to the line of scrimmage and get the ball snapped within eight seconds. It's not... College football is not like that anymore. Again, there are still a few teams like that. Certainly, you will see UCLA do it at times, but it is not like watching Oregon from back in the day or when Chris Peterson was at Washington where they would just uh, – they uh, they were a relentless pace 
um, or like what we saw out of Rich Rodriguez's offense here at Arizona in his time here. So um, this is you know this is good. I think it's good for football to be honest with you. I I don't like the hurry up offenses. I think there's a time and a place for it. Obviously, two minute drills and things, um, or if you want to just set a pace to kind of change things up a little bit. If you're struggling, you want to try to set a new pace for the game. Those kind of situations are important, but trying to run 100 plays in a game is ridiculous and it's dangerous. You know, you get players hurt that way. So um, I think it's good that college football is starting to back down a little bit. Coaches are backing down a little bit. I think the the effect of, you know, seeing player injuries has slowed some teams down. Um, And, again, UCLA will go fast, but they're not going to be as fast as you're accustomed to seeing Chip Kelly teams. You know, one of the things about UCLA is they have an extremely opportunistic defense. They've created seven turnovers this year, which is pretty darn good. Um, you know, they've, they've played some really good, solid football teams this year, teams that don't tend to, to turn the ball over too much um, in those, you know, in those matchups and such. So, you know, they've played some good teams. You know, Hawaii was a bit of a mess in their first game. Obviously, they're getting better. They just had an upset win over Fresno State over the weekend. LSU, you know, as – as I think as overrated as they are or were for the you know for the most of the season, I think we found out that LSU um, is not a very very good football team, specifically not on par with what SEC is turning out, and certainly not anywhere near where they were two years ago when they just absolutely blasted everybody that got in front of them. Um, but LSU is a good solid football team. They don't you know they don't turn the ball over. They don't hurt themselves too often. Um, Fresno State, Jake Hayner had, you know, his bad game was last week, obviously probably falling out of the, the Heisman Trophy race last week against Hawaii with, with uh, four interceptions last week, but not a team that's going to shoot themselves in the foot. Stanford, not a team that turns the ball over too much. And Arizona State, uh, obviously with their talent and their ability to run the football, they're not going to be turning the ball over a whole lot as well. So the fact that UCLA has created seven turnovers is a bit concerning um, if you're Arizona's offense because – Look, this is a team who is full of, you know, just absolutely full of of experienced players, right? Uh, UCLA, they they start what twenty two of their fifteen starters are either seniors or graduates. That's incredible, and every single player on the defense, all eleven starters on defense, are either senior status or graduate status, which is in, amazing. The thing I mean, you don't you don't see that kind of stuff uh, in college football, certainly not at high level college football anymore, because there's so many young players that are coming in that are electric and ready to play right away uh, coming out of high school. So especially some of the bigger recruiting teams that get fives and four stars, uh, those young guys are going to play. So they're going about it a little bit differently this year is UCLA. And, you know, Jed talked about the opportunistic defense. He also talked about Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR. You'll hear me say just DTR because his name is long and everybody just kind of calls him DTR now. You know, DTR was Tate Martell's backup at Bishop Gorman, and Jed talked about watching Bishop Gorman football, obviously, you know, in you know recruiting and things like that when he was at UCLA and uh, in previous stops in college, and he said he would watch DTR play wide receiver and dominate the game at wide receiver, and then when Gorman was up by seven touchdowns, he was the backup quarterback. He'd come in and play quarterback, and then he'd tack on a few more touchdowns. He said he's just, you know, he's a really good athlete, and he and he is. And we're going to specifically talk about DTR coming up. He is one of the one of the big keys to this game, obviously, uh, against Arizona. 
about one thing that he mentioned, and, and this is a good question. I, I thought that I don't remember who it was that asked the question. I don't know if it was if it was Alec White or Michael Lev or who it was in the media that asked the question, but they asked specifically about targeting tight ends. Uh, this is something that I've been harping on for the last three weeks, that they need to target the tight ends more. And Jed talked about He said, yeah, you're right. You know, I would like to see the tight ends more involved. But he also cited the fact that the quarterbacks have been missing the tight ends on a lot of reads. And he's right. They had two wide-open tight end plays in the BYU game that were missed. One of them was a sure touchdown, as long as there's not a, a complete breakdown of fundamentals and he drops the ball. Um, one of those was a touchdown that could have altered the, the outcome of that game. Um, there were opportunities to hit the tight ends in both the home games against San Diego State and NAU. There were some that were bad passes. There were others that were completely missed. I know, um, I think it was Alex Lines that was running up, a, running a seam route in the NAU game, and they went away from him. They went left instead of looking down the center where they should have gone, and they've the quarterbacks have missed a lot of opportunities with tight ends so far this season. There's been 160 passes. This is courtesy of, of Alec White. This is the, the research that he did for the Arizona Daily Star. 160 passes combined by all the Arizona quarterbacks so far in the first four games. It's 40 a game. Only 11 of those, which is 7%, have been intended for a tight end, which is under three targets per game, which is not enough, especially when it's an offense that features the tight end. If they want to start recruiting tight ends like Kean Burnett and other big-name tight ends out there, they're going to start throwing the football to the tight ends. Okay, I think you're going to see that come into fruition this game. Arizona looked a little bit more comfortable. Jordan McLeod looked a little more comfortable throwing to the tight ends against Oregon. Um, I think Oregon was really focused on stopping Arizona on the outside edges and looking to create turnovers there, uh, which opened up the middle for Jordan McLeod and the tight ends to work, which I think is is going to be paramount for Arizona in this game as well because you're you're seeing the same type of defense in UCLA, very smart defense, very opportunistic. They're looking to turn teams over the same way Oregon was, and I think you're going to see them pressure the edges and try to force longer throws across the field that create better opportunities for secondary players, and we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit as well. Um, so I, I like I like what I'm hearing uh, you know, from Jed Fish that you know he's like, look, we would love to target tight ends more. Our quarterbacks got to find them, and he's absolutely right. And it, it's, it's something that absolutely has to happen uh, if, Arizona, if, if Arizona wants to be successful. They've got, they've got good, talented tight ends on this team, whether it be Bryce Walma, Alex Lines, Stacey Marshall, all three of those guys, very, very talented pass catchers. Um, a, couple, you know, a couple of them very multiple in the way that they play the game as far as blocking and uh, receiving. So it's good to have them in the games, and, and I like to see two tight end sets. Everybody, I, I just old school football guys love to see two tight end sets, right? Not everybody likes to see five wide and empty backfield and just throwing it up in the air. So Jordan McLeod, uh, Jed Fish talked about Jordan McLeod in the uh, in the press conference as well about the having the increased reps with the ones. He's like he's like, look, the first two weeks he was here, he had zero, <laughs> zero reps with the ones because we were trying to prep Gunner and Will for the uh, you know for the upcoming season because Jordan just didn't even have the playbook down yet because he had, you know he got here late. Then he went to about 10% of the reps as the third stringer. Now he's up to 90% of the reps and he's been able to do that for the last week and a half. This is a, a huge boost for uh for Jordan McLeod obviously being able to get his timing and connections and things like that chemistry with the offense but also for the other 10 players on that offense, or you know, 15 rotational players, if you add in another five players as far as running backs and uh, wide receivers go, 
it's important for them to get their chemistry set with quarterback Jordan McLeod as well. I laid it all out last week how important it is for him to get these reps, how important it was for Arizona to have this bye week at this time to be able to get the offense in sync with one another and their quarterback, just how little idiosyncrasies that you don't think about all the time uh, as far as you know how, how they hand the ball off and you know the kind of steps that they take and what angles they take on on stretch plays and um, you know their cadence their 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 voice inflection just the sound of their voice you know all kinds of things uh, proclivity to run out of the pocket or scramble and things like that for offensive linemen they need to make sure that they're not getting you know illegal men downfield you know ineligible receivers downfield and such so these are all things that get worked on and uh, the more reps, the better, obviously. Uh, Jetfish also said he wants more wide receivers to play. Said that Jamari Joyner looked really good in practice this week. Also mentioned Anthony Simpson and Dorian Singer. Look, we knew from day one that this team was loaded at wide receiver. And that seems ever so present uh, as, as the weeks go by because – the head coach and the offensive coaches continue to sing the praises of wide receivers. We know what Jamari Joyner can do. We've seen him play for Arizona. We know how good he is, how good of an athlete he is, and just kind of an effect that he has on the game when he's in there. So I expect to see more Jamari Joyner. I was surprised to hear that he wants Anthony Simpson and Dorian Singer to have more. That tells you that the wide receivers are getting their work in and they're doing some good things. You know, I – Jordan McLeod spread the ball around really nicely against Oregon. I think he hit 10 different targets in that game. Getting yourself more targets and more numbers out there for the opposing defense to worry about is always a good thing. So if those three dudes can play and he wants to rotate them in, I'm all for it. Like as, long as, they're, as long as they're buttoned up on the plays and they can get in and out of the, uh, the plays quickly and, and be correct, then, uh, then obviously that's, that's the most important thing. He also singled out Paris Shand which I thought was really interesting because I've also singled out Paris Shand the last couple of weeks. I felt like he's played really, really well in the games. And Jed Fish said that he's been an absolute standout in practice this week and would like to see Paris Shand get more reps. I absolutely agree. I think he's been very good uh, in the last two games specifically, just watching him play. I mean, the home game uh, against NEU, I called his name several times on plays where he was running down the line of scrimmage to track down a ball carrier, not just holding his gap, but actually going after the ball carrier, running to the ball. And against Oregon, he was doing the same thing. He had good push. He had good gap, uh, good, good gap responsibility. Uh, and, and I think he's playing at a very high level right now. I'd like to see him get some more reps on the defensive line. And then finally, I thought what was interesting about his press conference is he said that he wants his players to believe in themselves. To, to open the game, essentially. He says, uh, the quote was, uh, don't test the waters, just jump right in. He feels like the players are hesitant early in games, like, where do we fit in? I don't want to make a mistake. Uh, do we belong on the field against these guys? And it's led to early deficits. He wants them to, quote, don't test the waters, just jump right in. I agree wholeheartedly with this. Um, you know, I, I remember one of my coaches had told me once, he was like, don't be afraid to make a play on the first play. I mean, that, that, was, that was basically all he said. Because we were a team that would kind of like, oh, you know, it was like 7 nothing at, at the end of the first quarter or nothing nothing at the end of the first quarter. Nobody was really going out there and making big plays early on. And he said, don't be afraid to make a big play on the first play. So I, I agree with this. I like this philosophy. Don't test the waters. Just jump right in. The players need to believe that they belong on that field with those dudes across the sideline from across the field from them on the other sideline, and uh, Jed and his staff are going to instill that confidence in them. And if 
it, look, if something big happens early, you're going to see a swell of confidence in this team. This is a very emotional team. Um, college football is a very emotional game, period. But this team is a very emotional team. I think we've seen that through the first four games. When things are going well, they can, you know, they can be very dangerous. Uh, but as soon as something breaks down, it, it all of a sudden it turns into a 20-point or a you know, 14-point swing. We've seen those things happen week after week with this team, right? So uh, confidence is key for this team, and, and I like Jed's approach to that. Just, just jump right in, guys. Just, you, you belong. Just jump right in. Go make a play right away. Fury and Wilder are back in the ring tomorrow night to complete their epic trilogy, and FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new customers exclusive 30-to-1 odds on either fighter to win. Now, I have on good authority that Tyson Fury is showing up a little bit heavier for this fight. And by say, when I say a little bit, I mean 20 pounds heavier than what he was in their previous fight against, uh, against Deontay Wilder, which, which means he's probably going to lean on Wilder a little bit more, maybe kind of try to muck it up a little bit, which tells me that he may be afraid of Wilder's power, which makes for such an epic fight. Like, I can't wait for this. I'm, I'm super, super excited uh, about the fight. Their, you know, the previous fight went seven rounds, of course. Uh, Tyson Fury stopped Wilder in the seventh with a seventh-round stoppage. In the previous one, it was a split decision that I thought Tyson Fury won outright. I didn't think the, the, uh, the judges had scored that, uh, that card right. But there's something to be said about that third fight in the match. It's not a rubber match, in, in my opinion. I think, I think Fury won both of the first two. But Wilder looking to make a big play in the trilogy and your chance to put a 30-to-1 spot on it with FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more. It's just one of the many reasons why they're America's number one sports book and the only sports book that I use, and that's the honest-to-God's truth. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Sign up with the promo code DEAN, that's my last name, D-E-A-N, to get in on all the action. That's promo code DEAN, and you could win $150 on just a $5 bet. It's $5 bet. 150 bucks, right there, 30 to 1 odds. It's just that simple. Pick the winner that you, you know, the guy you think is going to win the fight, and enjoy and cash in that ticket at the end of the night. 21 and over in President Arizona, new users only. $10 first deposit is required. Must wager in designated offer market. Max bonus is $150. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342. Coming up next, my stats and keys to the game. I have three keys to the game, and I may go a little bit off the rails on this one but uh, stay with me on this i think you'll like what you hear that's next on the jeff dean show the jeff dean show on espn tucson is brought to you by desert diamond casinos desert diamond is true tucson now back to the jeff dean show on 1490 am 1049 fm espn tucson Join Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6 as they're broadcasting live from Bear Down Friday at Main Gate Square as we cheer on U of A football team for their big matchup against UCLA tomorrow night at Arizona Stadium. Of course, big pep rally begins at 6 o'clock. It will feature the Pride of Arizona marching band. The U of A cheerleaders will be there, the twirling team, the Palm Squad, and, of course, lovable Wilbur and Wilma. And, of course, uh, Adia Barnes is going to be on site. Jed Fish, head coach Jed Fish, is going to be there. Uh, there's a Junior Cats Activity Zone for the kiddos, and you can enjoy happy hour specials at the restaurants and patios that are adjacent to the pep rally as it's going on. Plus, 
all of the sister stations for ESPN Tucson will be on hand, and they're going to have tickets to give away as well as they're strewn throughout there, the, uh, the main gate square. So come on down. It's Bear Down Friday today from 3 to 6, and then the prep rally at 6 o'clock, Spears and Ali Broadcasting Live. Come down and say hi, get some swag, and uh, cheer on your Wildcats to victory. All right, so uh, real quick here, I have to kind of go to break here soon, so I can't get into all these. I'm going to have to st- hit on one and then uh, come back for the other. So stats and keys to the game. When you look at this matchup here, if you if you were just to look at the numbers, like just to look at the statistics, it doesn't look good. Like Arizona's statistics, obviously, uh, they're in the, the 100s uh, of out of 130 in a lot of statistics in college football. Rushing offense, team passing efficiency, scoring offense, rushing defense, uh, passing efficiency defense, scoring defense, turnover margin, they're almost dead last. They're one of the worst teams in converting third downs. But all that doesn't matter uh, because – what Arizona needs to do, first of all, you know, as I mentioned, they need to find an identity during this during this uh, this bye week. They need to establish that identity. But one of the keys to the game against UCLA will be bigger plays in the passing game. Like you, you have to get big plays in the passing game because, look, UCLA currently 128th in the country in passing yards allowed, and that's after ASU only put up 286 on them uh, in the game last week. Now. The way you can do this is with big plays. They have been subject to big plays all season in the passing game. There have been wide open receivers all throughout the uh, the secondary. For some reason, I don't, I can't understand why. With all that veteran presence on the defensive side of the ball for UCLA, why they are giving up so many stinking yards uh, in in the passing game? I mean, they're giving up 322 yards per game passing. That's 128th in the country. Only like. Memphis were uh, defense is optional, and Georgia State, who fired their head coach earlier this year, are worse than they are in passing defense. Um, but the problem is, for Arizona, it's big plays. They have lacked big plays all year. In the BYU game, they had five plays between 19 and 29 yards. Okay, those are marginally big plays, but not what I would consider big plays. Against San Diego State, they had a play of 54 and a play of 43. That's it. Nothing else above 10 yards in that game. Against NAU, they had a play of 49 yards and a play of 29 yards. Other than that, very few plays above 10 yards, between 10 and 20 yards in that game. And they only had one big play against Oregon, a 35-yard uh, yard pass play in that game. They need to be able to put up bigger pass plays. Now, you don't have to do that by launching the ball into the air and throwing the ball 55 yards downfield because, as we saw last Saturday night against Arizona State, Arizona State had three big plays, 47, 48, and 65 in the passing game. Those are their biggest plays. They had other big ones. Um, but those are their biggest plays in the passing game. Those are big plays. One of them 65 yards to the house. Uh, that was on a screen play. Okay? You don't have to beat UCLA going over the top. In fact, teams that try often find themselves in trouble. UCLA's tackling has not been great outside of their defensive line. Defensive line plays really, really well. The linebackers are pretty good as well. Um, but tackling in space has been an issue for this UCLA team. And these big plays that have been put up against them, if you watch the Fresno State game where Jake Hayner put up 510 yards passing or whatever it was, a lot of those were, were throws that were between 8 and 12 yards, um, intermediate throws that turned into big plays. And th- two of the three big plays 
against Arizona State that Arizona State put up in the passing game were plays were throws that were less than four yards through the air, um, at least beyond the line of scrimmage. So that's where you can start to make, hey, you don't have to try to throw the ball over the top to get big plays against UCLA. What you have to do is you have to be disciplined in your offense to be able to execute those types of plays like screens and bubbles and hitches and things like that. Just get stuff that's quick. Um, make sure that their defensive line isn't able to get on top of you. Okay, make sure they don't get that push. Get the ball out, get it into the hands of your playmakers, and let them go make plays. And if Arizona can do that, I think that there, there's, some, there's some space to make some big plays in the passing game against UCLA. Obviously, everyone else has. Why not Arizona as well? All right, we're going to take a timeout uh, because I need to. And uh, when I come back, I'll have two other keys to the game to uh, an Arizona win, how Arizona can win this game against UCLA. That's next. You're listening here to The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And we are talking local right now. Wildcats versus UCLA. Big football game for the Cats and the Whiteout tomorrow night at Arizona Stadium. Kickoff is at 7.30. Have your uh, digital tickets ready when you enter the stadium or when you get to the stadium. Make sure your phone isn't on a 30-second sleep timer so you have to reopen your phone and your app and all that stuff. Just turn the timer off or turn it to like 30 minutes or something like that. And then when you get back in the game, you can turn it back to 30 seconds or whatever because you feel like people are going to steal your information off looking at your screen or something. I don't know. Regardless, (laughs) just be ready and enjoy the game. Now, I talked about my first key to the game for Arizona in, in, you know, their chance to win this game. I said they need to make bigger plays in the passing game. This is, this is paramount. If you're going to do it, this is the game to do it because UCLA, their past, we've been talking about it for weeks, how bad the pass defense is. They gave up 50 fewer yards last week than their average, and they're still 128th out of 130 teams in the country in pass defense. You have to capitalize on that. Next up, the next key of the game, and I, I think this is more for, like, the casual fan, um, and I think maybe, you know, for, like, some of the players that may be buying into the fact that this particular person or this player may is, they think it's a, he's, a, you know, he's better than he really is. Look, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is not a great quarterback. You watch the film, and I'm sure the coaches have seen plenty of this. They know what he does well. They know what he doesn't do well. There's a lot of things he doesn't do well. He's not a very accurate passer. He's less, he's less than 60% passing again uh, in, the, in, in the season. He's just under 60%, 59 and a half, which isn't, you know, obviously it's, it's right there. But you want to be 65% plus in college football. You, you have to be there. So the percentage numbers are not there. He's also not as dangerous a runner as some people believe he is. I know there's all this threat about, oh, you, you got to make sure you contain DTR. you got to contain DTR. And that's going to be the media focus and things. Like, you got to contain DTR. Look, folks, he's averaging three yards per carry this year. He's only scored two touchdowns. He's at 214 yards rushing. He's like the 41st rated quarterback in rushing the football so far this year in college football. He's not that great. Yes, he has quickness. And, yes, he has speed. And if he gets in the open field, he can be a problem. However, it's his passing efficiency, which is vastly improved, which I just mentioned, um, that's going to be you know an issue. As I mentioned, 59.5% completion percentage is not great. However, he doesn't turn the ball over. He's thrown 10 touchdowns, only thrown one interception. That was a tip ball against LSU. 
His quarterback rating this year is 165.2. Really not bad. So what the Wildcats should do is just treat him like they do any other quarterback. Treat DTR like you would any other quarterback. This is not Khalil Tate, okay? You don't have to worry about him breaking off an 80-yard run at any moment. You don't have to leave a spy behind. You don't have to bracket. You, don't, you can go after him. He's, he's been sacked plenty of times this year, okay? He is not the dangerous runner that a lot of people believe that he is. Yes, he has speed, and yes, he is dangerous in the open field. But it's not like he's running the football. It's not like watching Marcus Mariota or Dennis Dixon from back in Chip Kelly days, okay? This is he's – he's a different quarterback. They like to throw the football because they have a wide receiver who is extremely freaking dangerous, who they're going – Arizona's going to have to find him and keep him bottled up. Kyle Phillips is about as explosive a player as you can have on an offense. He is he – is, he's a, a wrecking machine. Uh, against other teams' defenses and on special teams, I think, I think he's eighth in the country in punt returns, something like that. Like he, he's 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 definitely dangerous. You got to watch out for Kyle Phillips. He is their biggest weapon on offense, not DTR. It's Kyle Phillips. You got to find out where he is. If you can keep DTR in check, yeah, you can pressure him. You can get him into bad throws. He will make bad throws. He does make bad decisions. And he's overall generally not as accurate as you'd like a quarterback to be. Okay, If you can speed him up by a half a second even, you can change the game immensely. And look, yes, there are going to be times where he breaks out and he runs because protection breaks down or there's great coverage in the secondary. He doesn't have an outlet to go to. Okay, That's going to happen. Don't sell yourself on the defense of making sure you keep DTR in the pocket and keep him contained because he's done pretty well from the pocket this year. 165 quarterback rating, not bad. Okay? Finally, my final key to the game, and this, look, I know this sounds silly, and this is, like, redundant and, like, okay, well, tell us something we didn't know, Jeff. The sun is hot and the water is wet. It is imperative for the Wildcats to play smart and stay disciplined. You cannot shoot yourself in the foot against UCLA. Watch, look, look at what LSU did. The reason, well, the reasons LSU lost that game were many. But one of the big reasons were is they put themselves consistently in, like, first and 15s. They were first and longs, second and longs because of dumb penalties. Penalties that, they, that, that could have been avoided. They also were very undisciplined on the defensive side of the ball. They were often, you know, kind of showcasing and running around and trying to do their own thing as opposed to playing within the frame of the defense. You have to stay disciplined. Oftentimes, we've seen it before. And, and look, it, it, it'll help playing at home as opposed to playing in Los Angeles. But oftentimes, we see teams, you know, or players that are on teams in the Pac-12, they try to they, they get a little overhyped. SoCal players, right? Players that, that are from the Southern California area who didn't get recruited. They feel like they were shunned by the L.A. schools, by USC or UCLA. And they get a little overhyped when they play those teams and it results in dumb penalties, breakdowns in fundamentals, yada, yada, yada. Okay? We've, we've seen it happen a, a, a hundreds of times. SoCal players get hyped when they play the SoCal schools, and they make mistakes because they're trying to make a statement or whatever. Okay? Realize that you're playing in front of your home crowd and that the team that you play for is the team that chose you. And don't worry about the other team that didn't choose you because chances are the time you got recruited, the Staff is, you know, half the staff is different there, anyways. UCLA is not a team that's going to hurt themselves often, probably due to the fact that they're such a veteran team. As I mentioned, 22 or 15 of the 22 starters for UCLA 
are either senior or graduate status. That's incredible to think about. 15 of 22. But they can be prone to trying to do too much at times. I've seen it on film. I've watched UCLA three times this year. They... uh, they tend to be like, okay, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to do this all on ourselves, and they don't stay within the framework of the offense or the defense. They sometimes can lack some discipline, which is strange out of a, out of a, a veteran team. But it is a team, especially a defense that's made up of a lot of graduate transfers, so that can lend itself to some of the uh, hero ball aspect, or you know, I. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to do this myself, you know, kind of thing. I have to make a name for myself here. I'm the new guy, even though I'm 22, 23 years old, I need to make a play. They can be prone to trying to do too much. If Arizona can play smart, okay, limit the penalties. Penalties, the penalty limitations in week one against BYU were great. I, I would take those, you know, what, there was like three penalties for 20 yards or something like that in that game. I'll take that every single week for Arizona. So will all the coaches. Since then, it's not been as pretty. Like they're, I think they're like 88th or 90th or something like that in the country in uh, in penalties. So not great. They average like seven penalties a game um, for like 55 yards a game. So they need to limit the penalties. Limit specifically the dumb ones. Don't don't get into dumb penalties. You're playing at home. Don't have false starts. Okay. Ineligibles downfield are going to happen in college football. It's just the way it is. Players, offensive linemen release. Quarterback decides to throw the football. It happens. Okay, these are you know those are kind of inevitable. You want to limit those, obviously, but they're going to happen. What you need to do is limit the dumb ones. Don't don't have targeting penalties. Don't have taunting penalties. Don't have unsportsmanlike conducts or hitting hitting players out of bounds. Don't have false starts. You're playing at home. There's no reason to have a false start for God's sakes. Okay, so if you play smart, stay disciplined. Eventually, UCLA will make a mistake, and you can capitalize on. So there you go. Those are the three keys of the game. Make bigger plays in the passing game, okay? Respect DTR as a passer, not as a runner, and play smart and stay disciplined. I think those are the three keys to an Arizona win. I think when when you look at the matchups here, Arizona can and will play with UCLA on Saturday. I'm not getting I'm again, I don't I don't do predictions here. I work for the team. I don't I don't offer predictions for Arizona games. But Arizona has the tools in their toolbox to be able to play with UCLA. We saw them play nose-to-nose with Oregon. They were able to to go up to Austin Stadium for the first their first road game of the season, technically their first uh, real road game of the season, and play with Oregon, who was at the time the number three team in the country and are still a very, very good football team. They just lost C.J. Verdell for the season. I saw that. That's a big, big loss for, uh, for Oregon's offense. He's, he's everything for them. Uh, so that's a huge loss for them. That's that's going to go down uh, a, a bad path for them. Arizona has the tools to play with UCLA. If Jordan McLeod's ascension over the last two weeks has been on par with what we would expect for his chemistry and his working with the ones on the offense, and if the players have continued to develop, like Arizona's healthy, I think they might be the healthiest team in the Pac-12. The, the injuries have been extremely limited for Arizona this year. The offensive line has got confidence. Hopefully they can bring that confidence into the game. Jed talked about don't test the waters, just jump right in. Score early. Go Get a lead in the game. See what it's like playing with a lead for once. That might be fun. So there you go. Make big plays in the passing game. Don't 
sit there and oversell yourself on DTR as a runner, respect him as a passer, and uh, stay stay smart, stay disciplined. And I think Arizona has a good shot at uh, pulling out a victory against UCLA on Saturday night. But we're going to see what happens. It'll be a whiteout, 7.30 kickoff at Arizona Stadium. I am super excited. I'm ready to go. Um, got you know We got the uh, uh, the whole crew going to be in there on uh, on Saturday night, and uh, I'll be in the stadium, and I hope you guys are there too to support your Wildcat football team. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, a little NFL talk, and then coming up in hour number two, not only my NFL preview for the weekend, but also my Friday Five. That's coming up in hour number two. Stay tuned. It's the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Join Spears and Ali for Monday Night Football as they broadcast their show live from Famous Sam's on River in La Choya, getting to take their show on the road to another great place, city of Tucson, to enjoy beers and food and football without me. But come down and watch the show live every Monday from 3 to 6. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place to, uh, to hang out with family and friends and watch some football at the uh, famous Sam's at River in Latroy. they got 42 TVs, over 20 beers on tap, a happy hour that runs from 2 to 6, and uh, just a great place to, uh, to check out and watch the game, hang out. And, of course, our boys Spears and Ali going to be there, so uh, come say hello to them. This, uh, this Monday night, Colts at Ravens. The, uh, the game that's going to be going on there. So last night in the NFL, Thursday night football, things got a little weird, <laughs> I, would, I would say. Uh, Seahawks and Rams. Rams win the game 26-17. They extend their record to 4-1 and one on the season. Seattle falls to 2-3. and three. Russell Wilson uh, with a badly dislocated middle finger on his right, on his throwing hand, his right hand. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a gruesome kind of looking injury. Aaron Donald getting through trying to you know, put a paw up there, trying to knock the ball down. As we see happen so often, quarterback follows through, hits a defensive lineman in the in the arm or hits an offensive lineman on the helmet or something like that. Happens all the time. And dislocated finger. The good news is for Seattle is it's the long week. So they've got the extra two days of rest for Russell Wilson, and uh, I fully expect him to be back on the field. I was surprised he didn't go back out there uh, in that game. Important game for for the Seahawks. He didn't go back out there. They sent Geno Smith out there. We haven't seen in a while. And uh, Geno, look, you know, to his credit, drove the team down, got a score. Um, I think was it his second drive? I think second drive of the uh, of the uh, of the game for him. And then when they needed him most, twenty three seventeen, they need a drive out of him to uh, possibly set up a game winner. And on the first play, he throws an interception, and that was it. Ball game. End of story. Uh, the Rams tacked on another three to put the game out of reach with a minute to go. And uh, that was basically it right there. So um be interesting to see kind of where Seattle goes with the Russell Wilson situation with his finger. Um, badly sprained finger, I think, is what they're calling it right now, is what Pete Carroll said after the game. There was also a double punt in the game, which you don't get to see very often. Double punts are uh, are fun. Uh, also, the the Rams punter. Johnny Hecker was was heckling the fans. Like, he was egging on the fans, taunting the fans. I've never seen that before. <laughs> he lands a good punt inside the 10, and all of a sudden he is fired up. And, I mean, you know, Hecker, is, he's, a, he's a Hall of Fame caliber punter, uh, certainly. But then he started, like, egging on the fans last night and stuff. I, was, look, I talked about it yesterday. 
there's not a lot of love lost between those two programs, those two franchises, and those two teams, and specifically the players uh, that are on those teams. Not a whole lot of love lost between them. There's a good rivalry there between those two teams and players and such, and, and uh, they played like it last night. Punters riling up the crowd, double punts from the Seattle Seahawks, get the punt blocked, goes to run with it, kicks another one. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see that too often. Who was that? Michael Dixon, is that his name, the, the punter for the, uh, for the Seahawks? Yeah. That was, uh, that was fun. You don't get to see that too often. So it looks a little weird on Thursday night as we – look, we're accustomed to seeing this. With Thursday night games, things happen that we don't normally see. There's usually – traditionally it's a lower-scoring game than what we see on the weekends on Sundays and Mondays. Players hate playing in those Thursday night games. So there's – it's not a matter of motivation. I just think it's mindset. Players hate them, and I think that, that plays into part of it. So the Rams now 4-1, and one, and with that one loss to the Arizona Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals with a big game that we'll talk about coming up in hour number two, hosting the San Francisco 49ers. One team fighting for their lives, another team fighting to keep pace and stay ahead uh, in first place of the NFC West as uh, the NFL's lone unbeaten team. Stay tuned. It's a quick two-minute turnaround here. Stay right here. we got... A lot of stuff for a football Friday coming up in hour number two, including my Friday five, my lock of the week, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned for the football Friday hour number two coming up next on the Jeff Dean Show. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson, KFFN Tucson, KWCX Tanka Verde, KMXZ HD4 Tucson.